Hi there, I'm Jonathan Healy. On this episode of Red Business, we are in the salubrious surroundings of the UCC Quad, here to discuss how much the university delivers for the local economy every single day. It's a surprising amount, and it's down to the hard work of the men and women who are in this university. Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com. And my first guest here today is a man who is now fully installed as president of University College Cork. He can no longer claim that he's the new guy on the quad, but what a wonderful university team he presides over. President of University College Cork, Professor Patrick O'Shea, you're very welcome to Red Business. Thank you, thank you very much, Jonathan. It's it's great. I've been back over a year in the Ireland of opportunity, and you know it's turned out to be much better than anticipated. You know, when you come in, been away so long, you wonder what you're going to find. But Cork's a great place, Ireland's a great place. Tremendous amount of vigor here, and and UCC is a key part of that. Many people will have been surprised by the volume of business generated by the university being here. Okay, you've 20,000 students and all of those graduates working around, but you worked out it's 2.3 million for every single day. How did you come to the I, One of the things I, I asked the question, you know, when I came back here, what is the value we're producing? Can you tell me what is the value we're producing? So uh, my colleagues, um, Mark Hutchinson and David Hogan, basically went out, did a detailed economic analysis using detailed economic formulas, looking at all of the money that comes in, all of the spend by the students, the staff, and everything else. And basically, they were able to show that we had this total spend and then calculate that down to the daily spend. Were you surprised at what it was? I was absolutely amazed, absolutely amazed at how we were able to leverage the investment uh, by the taxpayer and basically produce way more value than we consume. I mean, the, the, the return on investment by the taxpayer is about 5.7 to 1. That is an amazing investment, an amazing investment. So, you know, my mantra is, do we create more value than we consume? Not just in a monetary sense, but also in a, in a social and a cultural sense. And I think you, you can see that it's not just about the jobs, but also about the influence of UCC on the culture and the life of the country. One in every 15 jobs in Cork City and County, but you mean a lot of the time you spent in this first year meeting people who are not on campus anymore, the, the, you know, people at social events, people at other functions, it keeps coming back. The college is almost all-pervasive in, in society here. There's always normally one or two members of the family have gone here or they've got someone who's in college here right now. Uh, you know, from the American experience to the Irish experience, is there a difference in that kind of culture, the pride almost in well, the university? There's tremendous pride here because, you know, when I was in, in America at the University of Maryland, that was a strong player, but in the ecosystem of, of, of Washington, D.C., it, 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 it really um, was one of many players. But here, you know, the University College Cork and CIT as well are huge, huge contributors to society. And there's tremendous, tremendous pride uh, all over the city, all over the country, uh, in terms of the accomplishments of our graduates, the accomplishments of our staff, and, and, and the great things we're doing. 
The challenge, though, is to keep it going and to keep it relevant. Now, I noted uh, when I was coming in here, you've got cranes over the campus, you've got huge development, constant evolution of the courses, the business school is now active, but the challenge is funding all of this. And, and one big issue is that core funding, i.e. government funding, has fallen away and is not as much there as previously. And that's an issue not just for the, this university, but for others. How much of a challenge does that pose for you? Because you you now have a job of attracting students and producing the right type of graduates. Again, my experience in America was very helpful in this regard because they're a few decades ahead of us in terms of, of the diversification of funding. So over the past 10 years, we have actually increased our non-exchequer funding from about 29% to 53%. Okay, So we've significantly diversified our funding source. So even though the core funding has gone down, we've been able to generate new sources of funding over that past decade so that we've actually been able to increase the number of graduates we're producing, increase the number of courses we're offering by uh, diversifying the sources of funding we bring in. And that, you know, in a sense, creates a, a, a more robust family, in a sense, uh, and, and a more robust uh, resource base going forward. From your time here, courses have changed a lot. I mean, you studied physics here, the science building. I don't know, the Kane building probably wasn't here at the time, I'm guessing, was it? It was the new science building back then. It was the new science building back then, right. It's not as new now. Um, but it, a lot of courses, I won't describe them as basic because it was obviously complicated, but you've had to do a lot more. You've had to bolt a lot more on to make these courses relevant. Exactly. Is, is, that, is that how it's going to continue to evolve? Exactly. So you could argue back then we were sort of a knowledge shop where you came in and bought some knowledge and took it away and get it, got a job. Now we're more like a cooperative knowledge farm. So it's not that the students are simply coming here and taking knowledge from the lecturers. They're actually actively participating in the knowledge creation process. And also, it's, it goes beyond simply saying, OK, I'm going to get a degree here and I'm going to get a job that's pensionable. The biggest change is the entrepreneurial nature of the students across all disciplines, where they're thinking of not just being consumers of jobs, but creators of jobs, and therefore creators of value, not just for themselves, but for the entire community. The way education has evolved is along those lines, but at the same time... education is is constant now it's almost lifelong and and the idea of having three or four years of a degree and then leaving it, it is that past that's past i mean the, the 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 form of education is is completely changing so to begin with um you know we're obviously an institution of teaching and learning but that's increasingly enabled now by creative scholarship and research right and that never stops i'm still learning and so In the past, you could argue that we were training educational tourists. Here's a skill, go and use it. Now we're training educating explorers, I should say, who will be capable of lifelong and life-wide learning where they observe and question the world. They analyze it, they reflect on that analysis, and then they innovate and act on it. And those skills are going to be very applicable over a 40-year career because the things that students will be working on 10 or 20 years from now, in many cases, are not yet named today. The types of technology, the types of programs would be quite different 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. So we have 
to prepare those students with an education that goes beyond simply a set of skills that may be obsolete. One of the things when you speak to the students here today, they will say that we are the best qualified generation ever. Puts all of our parents' generations to shame. Yet, when we actually do eventually go out into the workforce, we're probably going to be paid the, the least amount compared to what they would have had before. And, and is that a challenge to try and overcome, that the more we prepare these young people, the more we get them ready for the world, that you know they hit a world then that mightn't value them in the way that they should? Well, you know, there was a study actually done by the OECD on, on the value the graduates actually get from their education. In other words, what is the lifelong earning potential that you get as a graduate? And it, it broke it down by country. That is sort of the net value of the education after you remove the, 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 the price and the cost. And you know what the lead country was? Ireland, ahead of the United States. So the education we're giving here is efficient because the cost is low, relatively speaking, to other countries. It's very effective because our graduates have no trouble getting jobs. Within a few months of graduation, 94% of our graduates are employed. That's not bad. Not bad at all. And are, in, are, are employed or in further education. I mean, obviously, there are some people who may take gap years, go off and do other things. But um, And, you know, we have a tremendous diversity of students. So we're one of the leaders in, in, in access for students. About 23% of our students uh, come from underrepresented uh, backgrounds. But when we look at our progression rates, no matter what the background of students, they're very close, very high the sector leaders in that regard. So. When you look to the future now, what's next for the college? Because we know that there's a new business campus. Cubs is going to move in somewhere. Uh, you, you've inked this new arts deal with the Opera House that has a, a presence. I mean, you seem to want to move into town. Is there, is there a little bit of a creep away from the campus well, here? You know, we um, graduate more graduates per acre than any other institution in Ireland. You know, we only have 88 acres here in our core campus, so... Just like cattle, there are only so many students you can put on an acre. And so, yes, uh, we, we love our heritage campus, but we do need to expand. So that's why we're planning to move the business school to our in-town campus. We have the partnership with the Opera House. We have the Savings Bank for Professional Education. We will have our partnership with CIT and Architecture down at the South Convent. And we're doubling the size of the Tyndall Research Center uh, down um, on the River Lee. So what you will see in a few years is that we will have the Heritage Campus, we will have the in-town campus, which is less than a kilometre away, but also there will be the Western Campus. We have, we have lands out in Curraheen, we'll have a new dental school, dental hospital, and new sports pitches as well. So um, it is important to develop capacity because, as I said, we are fairly landlocked here. We're pretty much built out with the new student hub. Uh, that you see outside with, with the big crane. But once, once that's done, we don't want to destroy the beauty of this campus. Mm. As you said at the beginning, you know, we have a beautiful quadrangle here, and we want to maintain that and, and, and the, the beautiful feel of the university while continuing to develop the, the capacity to, to grow in a sustainable way. Well, a three-sided quadrangle. I always liked the idea that they never quite finished it. <laughs> and, and for all for reasons that I understand are to do with cholera at the time, and they, did, they thought an enclosed space wouldn't work. Precisely, because this building in which we're sitting was built during the famine, started in 1847, finished in 1849, a time of enormous difficulty for our ancestors. But 
as you said, they put a tremendous amount of work into this. They built this for us. As somebody said, they, they built these walls and they planted trees under which they would never sit. And I always ask myself, are we doing our best to deliver impact for those poor people who built this place 170 years ago? You are a custodian here. You are merely a custodian until the next president comes along after your term of office, which is, I think, 10 years or so. Does that weigh on your shoulders, Pat? Because, you know, here you are, uh, a boy from Turner's Cross who went to Skull Creek Street, Clash Creek Street, UCC, and then on to the world who came back. You know, you, you are conscious that those who sit under those trees in years to come will look back and go, what happened in that decade? Does that, does that worry you? Do you? Does that inspire you? How do you deal with that? It inspires me. It inspires me. And that's, that's the reason I came back. I wanted really to, to give back some value to, to Ireland because, yes, I got a free education in Turner's Cross. I got a free education here in UCC. And I took that value out of Ireland and gave it to America. And I asked myself then after all those years, how can I come back to Cork, to Munster in Ireland and, and, and create something that's sustainable, that will allow UCC to take its place among the great institutions of, of the world, but also to help the people of Cork, the people of Munster, the people of Ireland, and ultimately the world, because you know the issues we're focused on, how do we house, how do we heal, how do we feed, how do we fuel people, how do we create a just society that's safe and free, and how do we create a better life for our children, those are no longer local issues like we might have been focused on at our founding. These are global issues. And so we are committed to being a university in the community, of the community, and for the community that's completely globally engaged. Well, I look forward now to going and speaking to some of your colleagues who are uh, looking after the next generation in terms of teaching and planning and sending them out into the world. But for now, President of University College Cork, Professor Patrick O'Shea, thank you very much for joining us in Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. The Red Business Podcast with CompuBee Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuBee.com So now we have moved from the President's office uh, to another part of the quad. And I am with uh, four people who have different roles here in the university to talk about how UCC has changed over the years to the better for its students. With me is Eamon Curtin of the Ignite Entrepreneurial Programme, Professor Jules Gilson, who is the Professor of Creative Practice, and Dr Nick Chisholm, uh, who is with the Centre for Global Development, along uh, with Dr Ali Cummins, who is with the Department of Sociology and has graduated as uh, with a PhD from UCC. You're all very welcome to the programme. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to turn to you, Eamon, first of all, because one of the things that um, (laughs) Professor O'Shea said is something I've said a lot, is how university education has changed. That when I would have come here, you got your degree, thanks very much, bye-bye, and off off with you. And and Professor O'Shea was telling us that that has changed. And through the Ignite program, which you run, it's a real example of that. I mean, how many have you seen pass through Ignite and how has it changed even during your journey with UCC? Well, I suppose, Jonathan, yeah, on the Ignite Programme over the last seven years now, um, in fact, we're just closing applications today for our 10th cohort. So that'll bring to 100 the number of startups that we've worked with over that period of time. Um, and very specifically, the programme is for recent graduate entrepreneurs, so our, our, our students who have gone on to qualify uh, and have probably over the course of study identified a business idea that they wanted to develop and now we give them a 12-month window and the support that they need to develop that. But I think when I look back over the last seven years, while at that point in time there was lots of wonderful stuff being done at the undergraduate level, it tended to be driven by 
specific individual um, staff members that had an interest in supporting something like the Food Innovation Awards or, or, or biodesign in the, in the medical device space. Um, what we've since developed is, I suppose, bringing on Launchpad to support undergraduate um, staff and alumni, um, uh, and then in, in, uh, side by side with that, the Quirkus scholarships that were uh, relaunched, I guess, a number of years ago, including a specific scholarships for uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. So we're encouraging students to come on campus because they've done something entrepreneurial before they come here. We have support structures and programs like the Business Idea Generation Challenge to give people an opportunity to be exposed to problems they can solve, or startup labs to help develop ideas and to build a pipeline for Ignite. And what do you see as the difference in the actual students? So in other words, you're seeing a different type of student leaving the university now, not just with a degree in their back pocket, but with a different type of skill set. And what, what impact does that have on those people? Um... I think for the students that want to have an impact, that want to, to, to change something, that see a problem that they'd like to be part of the solution to, um, it gives them, I think, probably the understanding that they can do that, the belief that they can do that, uh, the encouragement to, to do something about it. Um, and probably more importantly, or just as important, over the last number of years, they've seen role models. So, so they've now seen lots of, of their fellow students, if you like, or folks that are maybe that year or two ahead of them, go on to start businesses and have impact and create employment. And there's that sense of self-belief, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Uh, Jules Gilson, if I can turn to you, how has the university changed in the teaching of the students since you would have joined? Well, Jonathan, I joined the university in 1996, which was nearly 22 years ago. Um, so it's changed a lot, and I, I'd really echo that kind of shift of sensibility around seeing students as, um, I don't know, uh, um, kind of young people who come through and not a great deal of attention, I remember, was necessarily played to any kind of larger context in which they were operating beyond actually kind of learning. I was in the English department for 20 years before I moved to the School of Music and Theatre a couple of years ago. Um, and the education uh, was always kind of strong and rich, but there, that, that shift um, I've really noticed more recently. And a couple of years ago, I moved then to the School of Music and Theatre. And I suppose in that remit, I have a greater sense of um, the critical importance of um, creative gestures um, across the university and, and the kinds of disciplines within my school we are experts in those disciplines, but I, um, I'm beginning to see that uh, there's an understanding that those gestures of creativity are actually important to all of us across the university. It's critical to entrepreneurship. It's critical to um, any engagement with any kind of communities, with context, that it isn't enough to, um, to just learn information, that ways of learning and ways of communicating and um, creatively engaging with multiple contexts um, are at the heart of a kind of full, engaged young citizen who's going to kind of rock the boat and change the world. And how do those engaged young citizens who are going to rock the boat respond to this? Because obviously they don't know any different. They didn't know that it was different 20 years ago. Do they embrace it? Do they appreciate it? Do they understand it? Uh, it's difficult for me to speak generally. Certainly with our students in the School of Music and Theatre, there is a sense in which the bread and butter of what we do 
um, which is engaging physically, um, collaborating, coming up with new ideas on the spot, engaging with context and communities in schools, prisons, um, on the street. Um, we've recently um, initiated a collaboration with Cork Opera House. That that actually, um, they in some sense maybe take for granted that that's the kind of intelligences that they're engaging with. I think... Um, it's only, and, and I think for those of us who teach within those contexts, we don't, we sometimes don't understand that actually that these um, intelligences are actually at the core of actually what is always important. Yeah. And it's that connection that I'm really interested in m making. So I think um, our students, they take it for granted um, or, or, and they are kind of... Um, being, this, 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 having, is, this is always the way it's been, as far as they're concerned. I don't know that it used to be different. No, I suppose not. Mm. Although, yeah. I have to say, when I went to college here, Nick Chisholm, the most excitement that a student could hope for was maybe an Erasmus year where they went to Belgium. Uh, you do something very different now because you're involved with the Centre for Global Development and your students don't go to Belgium. They go somewhere that uh, certainly is a more challenging environment. That's right. Um, yeah, so... Um, I'm the director of the Centre for Global Development, but I also am a senior lecturer in international development. We have a BSc in international development and food policy. And um, like Jules, I've been here for quite some time. And when I first came here, there was nothing like that. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to sort of teach on international development, you could maybe do that in terms of one module in a could have been in the BCom or something like that. But um, from 2005, we started this undergraduate degree, which is specifically around um, addressing these sort of big global development uh, challenges, you know, around food security and human rights and climate change and, and so on. So um, that's a four-year degree. And in third year, our students all go off on uh, an overseas placement for about five months. Um, they go to countries like Ethiopia, um, Malawi, Uganda, India, um, we have students in the um, Tibetan Human Rights Center in uh, northern India. Um, we have students working on human rights issues in Uganda. We have a whole range of kind of... I mean, they're, they're pretty challenging environments yeah. for, for someone who maybe grew up in Balifahan or yes. who grew up uh, in Black Rock. So how do they respond to all of that? Um, they generally respond really well. We, we do quite a lot of pre-departure work with them. I mean, their whole course sort of prepares them for that. And then in third year specifically, we do a lot of um, work on sort of cultural sensitivity and cultural understanding, security issues and things like that. We have kind of enduring relationships with non-government organizations and universities in those parts of the world. Um, we have students going to Palestine. Now they don't go to Gaza, but they do go to the West Bank. And they've been going for several years. And they get, I, they, they, the vast majority of them, um, their personal development throughout that period is just fantastic. And they come, quite often come back as kind of changed people in fourth year. And it's just uh, it's, it's brilliant to see, actually. Annie Commons, the reason you're here is because you probably were the most recent graduate with your PhD. So therefore, I, you know, we're talking about this in theory. In practice, what was it like coming through here as a student? Well, um, I came back in 2010 as a mature student doing a HDIP, went on and did the master's and then on to do the PhD. So I took a very creative approach, like Jules was talking, on how to engage in the community with my own research and my interest was in play and especially children's unstructured free play. So um, I wanted to enc encourage or get the community involved in the value, recognising the value of play. So um, as part of Middleton Arts Festival, so I have done um, a junkyard playground um, and uh, every year that we run it, it's um, using recycled material in the 
community um, and encouraging families to get involved and it just keeps getting bigger and, and bigger so um, this year we had about 350 people pass through our doors um, in the middle of May so it was um, very exciting. Oh, yeah, that sounds like it's a great event and well attended. Uh, the university experience, is it different to what what it used to be because uh, you came back as a mature student and how is it much better or is it both the same? So of course it's much better um, I've um, got an extremely very supportive environment and I had great supervisors I only came back really to do a H, a H dip I only wanted to get a level 8 degree and um, it was because of my supervisors and how encouraging they were that I, I stayed I never expected to be finishing with a, a PhD ever in my life so um, it, it came as, as a shock but once you, you get you start to feel part of a family part of something bigger and um, yeah you, you end up staying and now I'm the first year coordinator and it's always it's been a privilege to be part of um, the first years coming in their journey yeah. and, and getting involved. One of the things I want to just ask all of you before we finish up and I touched on this with Professor Shea as well is that the expectation is that these these young people that are coming out there they're very well qualified but do they have the real world experience do they know what they want to do are they the snowflakes that horrible phrase that's used and you you probably see first years through your job as coordinator what do you make of this current generation? I, well, I think they're very engaged. I think um, it's very exciting to be part of, of their journey. Um, most of them wanted to come in here and do very well. They have done well in all through secondary school and they expect like it has a bit of adjustment and it has challenges but um, they know what they want they're very focused and they come in here and they know that they they don't feel this barrier that um, when I was the first time I went to college when I was 17 that I would have felt through um, my lecturers that they, they do try and get involved and they do feel like they can contact us. Jules what do you make of this current generation? I think they're brilliant I think it's such a privilege mm-hmm. to actually spend time with young people and I learn so much from them as much as I enjoy and, you know, hopefully they learn from me as well and my colleagues. Um, I appreciate their energy, um, their uh, ability to kind of think again about the future and to be, you know, and I feel it's a real honour to be part of facilitating them to think of themselves as potential makers of this world and to see theatre and music and film as intelligences that they can engage in the world not that they can be disciplines on themselves but they are also ways of thinking and communicating and engaging nick if you're sending these kids out to africa i mean that that's a pretty thankless lot to take on board what, what do you make of them those those that are criticized for being not up to it and, and not robust enough for the world we live in Oh, they're incredibly resilient, and I think they, they have to be resilient to, to go through that experience. And, and no, I think um, I, I agree with, with uh, the others, really, that I think they're, um, they want to be global citizens. You know, I don't think they have a narrow view of the world. I think they have a very broad view. And I think also I, I, I also get great energy from the, the, the sort of energy of young people. Um, they're incredibly smart. They're incredibly innovative. You know, and I think um, I, I guess our role is to... To, to just sort of support them to see that there are lots of opportunities out there. But as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, encouraged by people's um, wants to be global citizens and to actually, you know, they're not just selfish, they're not just in it for themselves, they actually want to make a better world as well. And I think that's great. You know? and finally, I, mean, I, I suppose with the business hat back on, and a bit of a selfish hat as well, we're looking to this generation to pay our pensions. So we need good entrepreneurs, we need good ideas, we need lots of money. If anyone has a great old plan, they're going to come through you and come through the Ignite programme. Is there great hope for the next generation of entrepreneurs based on what you've seen? Uh, 
I, I, yeah, I, I, I'd be nothing but positive about it. I, I guess I get to see the people who, who come to me because they're making an application to the programme or they want to discuss a potential application and they want to do stuff. They, they want to make stuff happen. Um, what I think is particularly interesting in my observation is that we've probably, no question, we've acquired greater diversity of students on campus today than we would have had in the past. And many of them, many more of them have probably had to overcome some kind of adversity to get here than might have been the situation in the past. And as a consequence, they've got that small bit of grittiness and resilience and determination to go out and, and, and make things happen and, and overcome stuff. Um, I think we need to also realise that while some of the guys that we'll work with will start on a journey that will produce pretty significant results in terms of raising investment and creating jobs and that kind of stuff in the short term, a huge chunk of it is also planting the seeds of the future. It's, it's not so much whether the first opportunity that they go after becomes a success. It's what they learn from doing that. It's the context that they make. Uh, it's the self-confidence that they achieve. And it's then how they go back and use that as a, maybe a second time and a third time. Well, we wish you all the best luck in the continuing education journey of the young people who pass through University College Cork. Our panel has been Eamon Curtin of the Ignite Entrepreneurial Programme, Professor Jules Gilson and Professor of Creative Practice here at UCC, Nick Chisholm uh, from the Centre for Global Development and Dr Annie Cummins uh, from the Department of Sociology who looks after the first years there. Thank you all so much for joining us on Red Business. My thanks to everyone here at UCC for making our journey so special. Lots of people listening will have passed through these hallowed halls and lots more to come as well. Neve Hennessy was the producer as always. If you want to get in contact with the programme, redbusiness at redfm.ie and we'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.